All right. Um, I have thought to myself, seriously, today, you know, when you see the, how many of you remember you doing that? Anything like that? Y'all remember singing in church and things like that? You know, the ones that grow up singing in church are usually the ones serving the church when they're adults. Uh, I really do think that, man. I'm, I'm so proud of, of these kids, and, and uh, that's why children's ministry is so important. Um, I remember those in, that were leaders in our ministry when I was kids that we were like, no, we don't want to do it. And they're like, no, you're going to do it. And then I also remember being like, no, I can't do that. And I'm like, you, you can do it. You know, and it makes a huge difference in the life of a child uh, to be lovingly challenged towards serving God in this way. And so um, I'm super excited for them, for the, for the future of our children's ministry, and um, am, am thankful for that leadership there with uh, Ashley and her team. So Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1 is where we'll uh, start from. We're going to bounce around a few different verses of Scripture, but we started last week in the doctrine of man. And uh, we looked at uh, creation, not in theory, but in truth from the Scripture. And uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 is the focus of our time tonight. And I'm just asking God, Lord, if you would just, uh, over and above everything going on, would you uh, please speak to our hearts and minds, and may this be helpful to the way that we walk and talk to people, the way that we reflect your glory, even the way that we think about ourselves. I just ask, oh God, tonight that your Spirit would lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. We looked at that last week. And then the next part of that says, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And last week was a little bit deeper than we normally get, but it was also very simple. Simple fact of God created. That we are not here by theory, we are here by the truth. And Scripture teaches us that human beings are God's supreme and special creation, that we are supreme over the earth and subject to God, that we are special, and that we were created to be like Him. We were created in His own image. And in the next couple of weeks, we will expand upon the structure of man and how we're made physical and spiritual. But tonight, we're going to look at that next part of verse 27 that is very small, but it's also very important. As the Scripture says, Male and female, he created them. Gender is not the thrust of this verse. I don't want you to misunderstand. It is not the thrust of the verse of verse 27, but it is super important as it is mentioned specifically. And the first thing we want to look at when we speak of, of gender as it relates to what is said here in the scripture is gender equality. The first thing to note about that is when scripture mentions male and female, the genders are distinguished, but neither is highlighted as dominant or inferior. I believe the scripture teaches that genders are equal, but not the same. Equal, but not the same. Equal in that both were created by God, both loved by God, same start, same worth. The spiritual image of God does not belong to one sex over another, but to both. The spiritual problem of sin and separation and judgment belong to both. The eligibility of redemption belongs to both. God's grace belongs to both. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible teaches that there is no cultural distinction between male and female at the foot of the cross. Not that any of you deal with this personally, but that it is a truth of Scripture that other cultures deal with for sure. There's no cultural distinction between male and female when it comes to salvation. The Bible says in Galatians 3.8, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That verse, when properly interpreted, 
eliminates the idea that one is a starter on the field and that another is a reserve on the sideline. It eliminates the thought from that verse that one sits in first class while the other sits in coach. In Christ, both male and female are equally loved, forgiven, equally gifted, equally purposed for the glory of God. So there should be equal respect between men and women. Now, I know that that does hit home, depending on how you were taught, how you were raised, what your tradition and your culture says. It doesn't matter what your tradition says when the Scripture says that neither of these, as you look at it, male and female, he created them. They are equal, equal for redemption, equal for separation, equal for salvation. So each of these should be treated as image bearers with the same respect. The improper interpretation of Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, is that there is no more gender identity once one becomes a Christian. You see, you can look at that verse and say there's no longer male or female when they are one in Christ Jesus. That would be an improper interpretation of that verse. Another improper interpretation would be there's no more difference between male and female once one becomes a Christian. That would also be an improper interpretation. The reason I know this is because the same author of Galatians chapter 3, verse 8 is the same author who also said, wives, submit to your husbands. It is also the same author that says, husbands, love your wives. It is the same author that makes a distinction between older and younger. It's the same author who listed different leaders in the church with different roles in the church. So the Apostle Paul and Scripture does discuss the differences with people, the differences between male and female, but he does not devalue one over the other. Culture does that, by the way. That's what culture does, not the Bible. God views both men and women as his children. Now, this is important. God views both men and women as his children, but he also sees both men and women as men and women. It is his will that neither be oppressed, nor that they see themselves as superior to the other. It is also his will that men be men and women be women. The Bible sees both men and women as a help to one another. The Bible sees both men and women as a help to the church. If a man would have been just fine by himself, we wouldn't talk about Eve at all. But God knew that he needed a helpmate, and because of that, God made Eve. 1 Corinthians 11, 11, when speaking of the church, the Bible says, But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. I can say for myself that within the team structure of our, our church, the wisdom within our staff, if our church were just leading from the perspective of men, then we would be hurting. If our church were just leading from the perspective of, perspective of women, we would be hurting. And so both are not independent of each other, and they both contribute to the body of Christ. Both contribute to the glory of God within their gifting. Now, for the last half of this, and I would say larger than the last half, let's talk about gender identity. And when the scripture says in 127, male and female, he created them, possibly now more than ever, is, is there no louder a tone in that verse that has ever been. Gender is distinguished as a creative act of God in Genesis chapter 1. It is an original designation of genetic identity and difference. I also realize now that even as I'm saying this, if you are here tonight just to hear your kids sing and we're talking about gender identity, probably a little weird for you. Got it. But still, important, and within our series, if the Word of God would have said, if the Word of God would have said, wouldn't have said male and female who created them. If God's word would have said people were formed and left it at that. 
if God's word would have said humans were created and left it at that, there would have been something more to interpret when it comes to gender, gender identity. But the scripture was very specific and very plain and simple when it says male and female, he created them. Now, who did he create after he said male and female, he created them? Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, the Bible says, this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. This is a, a very specific distinction and alluding to the fact of the descendants of Adam, which, by the way, we are, that there are male and female. Once again, even from Genesis 1 and Genesis 5, there is a decided and communicated specific identity in Scripture. And this may seem obvious tonight, but I, I think it bears saying it anyway. As God is creator of us, it is his prerogative to determine what the genders are. He is, is God. It is his privilege to decide what creation should be. I'm sure that many of you are like me, that you saw that one of our high-ranking United States government officials was asked recently to provide the definition for the word woman. And her answer, so that she was not offensive to anyone, was the following. She said, I'm not a biologist. That was her answer to that question. Now, I would say that I know that she, a woman, knows the answer to this question. But our allowance for however one feels has led some in the most respected positions in our country to conclude that what works is more important than what is. One Harvard-educated biological philosopher said the following, in any case of sex categorization, I'm using big words tonight, y'all, above me. In any case, I'm quoting it so you can say I would have used a synonym. In any case of sex categorization, it is necessary to build a definition of sex particular to context. Now, let me read that one more time. As I stumbled the first time and read through it another, but it takes a minute to grasp it. A, a very educated biological philo philosopher said the following. In any case of sex categorization, categorization it is necessary to build a definition of sex particular to context. So context, did that, did that mean that God in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, did that mean that Adam was a man and Eve was a woman only in that social environment? And according to the biblical author's conclusion, that's why Adam and Eve were a man and woman, but in a different context it would change? I can go on and tell y'all, I have never been a woman in a different context. And I, I, know that, I, I know that seems crass. I've never been in a context where I was not a man. Never been in a context where my wife was not a woman. A, a gender studies professor at Wheaton College said of the aforementioned government official that we mentioned from the beginning, he said this, I think she would prefer a world in which reality was much simpler. I agree. And also, I know of one of those worlds. I agree with that. That's the world that God created. The way that I view the world, and this is so important, the way that I view the world, and I am flawed and in need of the grace and mercy of God, and I'll mention that in a second, but the way that I view the world is with God at the top. When you view the world with God at the top, it changes the way that you see everything below him. 
With God at the top, I know who I am. I know how I got here. With God at the top, I know why I'm here. I know what to do with why I'm here. I am lovingly just like you and me and everybody else. Every person is lovingly created by a holy God. I was created in the image of God. I was created for the purpose of reflecting God's glory. I can only do that, though, by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the way to be right with God. Not that just God exists and he cannot be known, but God made a way to know him and be right with him through his son, Jesus. Because Jesus is the right way to God, because Jesus is the way to be right with him through his sacrifice, I am forgiven. I have right standing with God. I have eternal life with God because of the promise fulfilled of the resurrection. Because I am created by God and right with God through faith in Jesus, I am also subject to his standards as Jesus is not just my Savior, but he is my Lord. And so he calls the shots over my life. When I need to say that I'm sorry, I'll say it because he says so. When I need to stand up and move, I'll do so because he says so. I trust that the work that God has given me is for his glory, and I trust that God's glory is for my good. Now, this is my worldview, and it's a biblical worldview. But others do not see the world in this way. Many in this world today see themselves at the top. And when we put man at the top instead of God, the values of man are posted above the truth of God. And human discovery then is more important than creation and divinity. And this is why you have conclusions like the one I read today that says, scientists agree there is no sufficient way to clearly define what makes someone a woman, and with billions of women on the planet, there is much variation. The wisdom of man. That conclusion is one that is reached with God outside of the top. Jesus said that the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. You see, when, when we refuse to believe that God is God and that his way is better and that his way is perfect, then all kinds of stuff starts happening. And when ourself is at the top, the conclusions of man and the desires of man, keep that in, in mind because we're going there in just a second. When self is at the top, when we view ourselves above, above God or that God is not even in the picture, the conclusions of man, the desires of man are greater and stronger than any truth when we place ourselves at the top. This happened today. I'm actually not drinking this. It looks great. But this happened today. I'm talking to Josh Shirley in the hallway. Josh Shirley is our student pastor. His daughters are there with him later on in the day. And one of his daughters runs to the refrigerator there in the student building, and she grabs herself a Coke, and she runs back, and she's like, Daddy, can I have this? He says, yes, you can. And then she goes back into his office and grabs a, a thing of white out. And she says, Daddy, can I have this? And he's like, yeah, whatever, we're talking. <laughs> and I, I don't mean, he wasn't rude. He was just saying, yes, we're talking. You can, you can have it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, your office is about to be white out and post-it notes. It's going to be crazy in there. She comes back, and she has this can, and she says, Daddy, check this out. And he says, what is it? And she turns around, and she says, look, I'm drinking this Coke, and it's calorie-free, no calories. <laughs> she took the white out, genius, she took the white out, and just put it over where it says, I don't even have like 190. She just put it right over there. She says, no calories. So I'm going to drink this and it's all good, right? <laughs> Y'all, this is exactly what people are doing. This is exactly what's happening. You can put white out over the truth and don't take it away. 
You can put white out over calories and drink this and say to yourself that this is not what's happening, that I'm actually growing larger as I'm drinking regular Cokes. But the truth is, is it's going to happen. It's, it's observable. Scientifically, it's observable. Even if you throw it out. And so when we, when we say with, with, with self at the top, the conclusions of man, the desires of man are greater than stronger than any truth. Let's talk about gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria defined is the experience of distress associated with the incongruences wherein one's psychological and emotional gender identity does not match one's biological sex. So there is, there is stress associated with the way that God made them and the way that they feel mentally. It is the distress, another version puts it like this, it is the distress between how they identify and how they were born. This is gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria, as we've just mentioned, that is driven by feeling, it's driven by desire. Healthcare professionals actually would categorize gender dysphoria as a mental health disorder. Gender nonconformity, gender nonconformity is not a mental health diagnosis. Gender nonconformity is a conscious decision. It is choosing gender expressions based on feeling and desire that do not conform to biological determination because of personal conclusions. That is gender nonconformity. Some would suggest that gender nonconformity is not according to biological determination, but according to cultural expectation. Now that is, again, based on feeling and desire, which, again, would put God below man at the top. The Bible's always going to put God at the top. And the Bible speaks above feelings, the Bible speaks above desire, the Bible speaks above cultural expectation, and it says with authority, God created people to be like him. Male and female, he created them. Men and women are different at the deepest level. They're created being. We have different chromosomes. We have different voices. We have different shapes, we have different physical strengths, we have different reproductive systems. These reflect God's creative design. And there is no scientific proof to verify the claim that one is trapped inside the wrong body. In other words, psychological distress, human expression, cultural expectation does not change the truth of creation. One more time, I'm going to say that. Psychological distress, human expression, cultural expectation does not change the truth of creation. Just as in the days of Genesis before the flood, the sin nature of man persists to the extremes. Just as it was in the days of the Tower of Babel, people wanted for their will to be done. They wanted fame and glory for themselves. And what happened after that? Judgment. The flood brought death, the judgment of God. In the Tower of Babel, it brought separation, separation being the judgment of God. And the Bible says there is a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. That's what the scripture says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. The first sexual reassignment surgery ever performed was in Germany in the early 1900s. I was reading about that today, and, and what's interesting is this was very professional, but it was very experimental. And the man who desired a, a reassignment surgery and who attempted to be a woman, he actually died in 1931 after complications resulting from the fifth procedure. And I want you to think on this for just a second. 
a surgery, not to improve life, not to sustain life, not to increase life, but to completely change it from its original design, ended originally in death. That should have been the clear indication that this was a way that seems right, but is not. And so what does man do? We persist, trying to do it over again, over again for our fame, our glory, our desires. And then there's a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to separation or death. Let's talk about the human response, and then we'll go. The human response, you, you may or may not know this, but only 0.6% of the United States population identifies as transgender. 0.6%. It may be more, as many would never probably come forward with this, but I would also say that the world population of those who identify as transgender, in my opinion, would be less than 0.6% than it would in the United States. That's my opinion. I actually could not find a stat for the world population. But as we all know, this is a divisive issue. I can tell by the way that you're listening tonight. This is an issue that people are thinking about that's in our day and time. It's an issue of choice and dysphoria, and the way that people respond to this is usually in one of two ways. One, they champion or they celebrate this movement. It's not enough just to be like good for them, whatever. It's usually that they really want to make a big deal out of this. And I use the term movement lightly because the population is 0.6%. But the media attention that is given to this screams that it is the most important thing you're going to talk about today. It is the most important. It is a revolution that is necessary. And so one of the ways that people respond is to champion the movement, celebrate it, and, and to pump it up with people at the top because that is what they have decided. And if they've decided this, then it must be true. The second way that people respond to this is usually to make jokes and be really mean. To be very, very mean to people and trample them to the point that they continue to keep these issues that they deal with silent so that nobody can help them. From a Christian perspective, this is very disheartening because we who are guided to view everyone else as image bearers of God are so mean to them. Not all of us, probably not many of you in this room, but definitely some in this room and some outside of this room. Let me say this. Even those who make up less than 1% of the population are important to God. I would also say issues that people work through are often hidden without counsel because they fear the way that they'll be blasted if they work through them. Often people that, that feel this way and want to deal with it biblically end up not doing that because they'll be labeled weirdos, not from the world, but from the church. And they'll be labeled as terrible people from people who are forgiven of their own sin. God help us with that. So trusting that God's word is the truth and that gender was created and is assigned at birth within God's creation, how do we respond with that? Let's talk about that and then we'll go. How do we respond? Well, while the world's solution is to reassign, the biblical solution is to renew to renew. Now, what does that mean? Not to make a new gender, but to make a new person, period. 
one who views God at the top and themselves at below. One who sees the greatest fulfillment is not personal, but it is spiritual. It is alive and right with God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. That is the goal for all of us who, who are right with God, that, that we are putting the new nature on, that we have turned from our own sin, that we are either hidden behind our closet doors or we have gone to somebody to confess them to. We are to turn from the old nature, to actually put it to death, and we are to be renewed as we learn to know our Creator and become like Him. That is the focus of the new life. That is on God, not in personal fulfillment, but fulfillment of the will of God. The truth of this scripture that we read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, that's put on the new nature, is for one who has been raised to new life in Christ. It is for one who, the Bible says, is putting to death the sinful earthly things lurking within us. You see, one of the reasons that we are often harsh to people who are suffering from gender nonconformity or gender dysphoria is because our own sin has become a cultural norm, and it's all good now. Oh, I know. I know. But that that's really is the reason. We blast everybody on social media that's dealing with the things that we used to deal with or that we deal with now. All these people that worry are a bunch of crazy people. Do we get on social media and talk about how Guys who burn with lust are idiots and less than. Just saying. As I said Sunday, don't take it personal. This is personal. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Put on the new nature, be renewed as you learn to know your creator, and become like him. So to become like him in dealing with this issue within our society, our response must be how God responds with two things, grace and truth. Grace and truth. My sin and your sin may not have the same name as another, but we are all separated forever, if not for the grace of God. We are none of us saved, none of us, if not for God's unmerited favor. It doesn't take me very long at all to think about my own sin. It takes about a half a second to realize how I've grieved the heart of God when I was saved and when I was not. We have to view all people as eligible for redemption. I wonder how many of us actually know someone that, that is dealing with this, that knows someone that is dealing with a, a, an issue like this, or if we've ever known anybody that has a, a different sin than our own so that we can connect with them. Does not the Scripture say in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent? We had a pastor come and speak to our staff yesterday, and he said this. Man, it was so good. He said, Christians are expecting too much out of lost people. Gosh, that's so true. It's so true. But the unmerited favor of God does not negate the truth of God. Does not negate the truth of God. Doesn't mean that we don't go to the polls and vote. Doesn't mean that we don't support certain candidates. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that we just throw out the truth of God all for the grace. It's grace and truth. God's word stands in Genesis chapter 1, 27. Both male and female, he created them. And those who violate his created design or purpose, whether they are trusting their feelings or their desires or not, they put themselves above his way, above his will, and they are subject to judgment. That is the truth. That is the truth for everybody here. 
Being true to self, it sounds noble, but when there is a God who is creator God, who has a purposeful design, a redemptive plan, a standard, that, then it is not a noble thing, it is that it is a disobedient thing. And so if we are befriending someone who is dealing with gender nonconformity or dealing with anything that the Bible would say is sin, if we don't have a relationship to where we tell them the truth, as one pastor said, to be unclear is to be unkind. You're not helping them. I too, and I will say this too, because I, and I say it boldly, but I also say it with humility because I know that I'm the same as y'all. I too have desires that would lead me outside of God's will and way. And for me, the answer is not to celebrate it. It's never to celebrate the desires that would take me outside the will of God. It's not to champion it. It's not to excuse it. It's not also, it's not to suppress it. The issues that I deal with are not to be buried underneath something and never talk about it and never go to anyone about it and not get help with it. Those things are not to be suppressed. The issues that I deal with that would lead me outside of God's will and way are not to be celebrated, suppressed. They are to be in submission to God's will and way. All of the things that we deal with. Therefore, while dismissing or criticizing one's experience is not helpful, Affirming one's experience is damaging as well. And allowing for anything and everything in the name of inclusion is damaging. It's damaging. So finally, just a final word, compassion and counsel out of grace and truth. Compassion and counsel out of grace and truth. Can I tell you this? One, again, in the scripture, in the gospels, Jesus looks over the crowd in the book of Luke. And the Bible says he looks over the crowd and he had compassion on them like sheep without a shepherd. Don't you know that everybody, I don't know what kind of crowd that was and who was in it, but it was just everybody. Just everybody. The things that we deal with, the things that we don't represented in that crowd. And Jesus looked on it, and the Bible could have said that he looked on that crowd with judgment, but he looks on it with compassion. Now, the compassion that he had did not hold him up from preaching the truth. So, grace and truth that leads to compassion and and counsel, I, I got to tell you all this, and I think you know this, but uh, the, the people that I counsel with, almost always I have a relationship with. It's going to be hard to, to minister to somebody when we don't know anybody. It's really going to be difficult for us to do that, which is why I would say that we need to take our blinders off when we are out in public and that we actually have conversations and compassion for people and that we actually be used of God to the point of redemption and reconciliation. There's a uh, seminary professor, Andrew Walker, that said this, biblical counsel would begin by helping a person embrace, however difficult it may seem, that their birth sex is a testimony of their true nature and that perceptions of a different gender identity, while sincere, do not constitute identity change. Amen and amen. All right? 721, we got done nine minutes early. We're doing good. Okay. Again, if you have questions for me, I'll, uh, I'll let John Thaxon, our missions pastor, answer them. Thanks again, John, for being so willing and sitting towards the front. All right. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. I'm actually going to give it back to Greg. Greg's going to come and give us just a couple, three announcements, announcements and then uh, we'll, we'll get out of here, okay? Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the truth of your word that helps us as we live in culture, as we have relationships with people. And Lord, I do pray that you would use our church to, uh, to represent the things that you value, grace and truth, Lord, that we would not give up the truth of what you say, 
that we would trust you even when it's difficult. And God, that we would extend grace to others towards that truth and salvation. Lord, I pray that we would be a compassionate church, but a church that uh, doesn't budge off of what you say, Lord. But also pray that for our personal life. God, that uh, we would experience your grace, but we would stand on your truth personally, that we would see our own shortcomings as reminders, not barriers to keep us from ministering to people, but reminders that we are in need of that same grace and truth. Lord, I pray for our community, and I pray, Lord, for our leaders and our faith leaders, and I just pray, God, that you would, again, that you would steer us in a direction that would be towards light and not towards the world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.